Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, supposedly spring in Rochester, but it was like 20 felt like minus 2 yesterday. And we have our Zoomster who's trying to solve cold fusion, so he might be on. He might not today. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> this, you could, well, you can't see, but he's got stripes on. But the weather does have a factor here. This We have a really, I'm very, very happy to have a tremendous artist on today but weather plays a factor in because she had a great show here but it was also in my top five of worst driving shows ever and we are very thrilled to have marissa Mulder all the way from new york city which is easy because we're on zoom hi marissa hi there great to be here so you remember the show at love and cup and i have to just keep talking about that it's like it's like in my top five it was great show you did the tom waits show but my car bounced getting there basically on the snow but tom cohen told me you had to like go to canadagua afterwards (laughs) this was a long time ago so (laughs) yes no and i'm i'm from syracuse so i think yeah we we headed back to syracuse but that was crazy weather. Just it was, typical remember, you know, it was well worth it since I survived, and we had a good crowd. <laughs> we're hard, you know, we're used to it up here. It just gets to be too much. I mean, you're used to it, obviously, being in the wind tunnel itself too. Your weather's pretty bad. Yes. It so this is. is like going like good talking just about weather. But we're talking about, how did all this start for you? Can you just tell us a little how bit? How did it all start? Well. um, so yeah, I come from Syracuse, New York, so I'm I'm used to the weather and the snow and the cold. Um, but I just I've loved to sing since I was oh goodness, probably 3 or 4 years old. And I um I always had it in my mind that I I wanted to move to New York City. I don't know what age that started, but I did visit the city as a kid with my family and I I just thought it was such an exciting place. And I always said I wanted to move to New York City and sing. And I, you know, I studied voice as a kid and I did all of the musicals and shows in high school and on to college. I studied musical theater at SUNY Geneseo and, um, I did indeed come to New York City and I was auditioning for musical theater shows, but I, um, I really just wanted to get up and sing, you know, I was sort of discouraged by the audition process, you don't get to sing very long, and you wait in really long lines and you get told no a lot so I just wanted to create my own shows and um, thanks to a fellow singer, also from Syracuse, she sort of introduced me to the world of cabaret here in New York City. And I started going to a lot of great shows and realizing that these singers were really just choosing um, so many different kinds of material by so many different kinds of writers, whether it was jazz or the Great American Songbook or more contemporary music. And that's what kind of got me going with this idea of using some more contemporary writers. I would say you're both eclectic and daring in what you do in terms of who you pick. That's what I thought. And also for me, New York being a music person, I got to the Beacon Theater. And for me, that was like going to a shrine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was just great. That's such a great place. I know it's, it's such a, it's an exciting place. And, and luckily it seems like, you know, things are coming back um, as we kind of wind down from 
COVID a little bit. So You'll that's find we the... jump around on this too a little. So you're going along, you're motoring along. Then COVID hits, and we figure it'll be over in a month. We didn't realize. <laughs> how did as a performer and somebody out touring and everything, doing shows, how did it affect you in terms of also your creativity? Because I do know... Some of my friends, like, I keep making the joke, I was going to be really creative, right, do everything. I could barely do my laundry. Now, I had some friends who did three or four albums worth of material while they were locked up. Other people painted their houses. I was lazy, though. But how did it affect you <laughs> as an artist? No, it, yeah, it, it affects me in a big way. Um, you know, it was really, it was really tough. It could be really depressing at times, but... Um, Luckily, just the internet and social media and Facebook, I started doing, um, I have a piano here in my apartment in Queens. It's an upright piano. It was a gift, which was an incredible gift. Um, so my two of my favorite piano players that I work with most often would come over here to my apartment and we would do Facebook live shows. Um, we would do shows around Christmas or Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day shows, any any reason for a show. And um, I did a show on my birthday. I watched it. <laughs> oh, you February, did? February 10th? February 6th. Leave me alone, I'm old. <laughs> but that was, that was such Close. a nice way to stay connected. And um, my family and friends from, you know, all over the U.S., um, could tune in. So that really kept me going. And then I did create a show during COVID. I created a show of all John Prine songs, which, which we'll I be did. talking about. I know it's coming yeah, up. Yeah. So that was a COVID creation um, with my pianist, John Weber. And we first did that on Facebook Live and have since done it um, in real theaters. So it was, you know, it was, it was up and down, but I tried to just keep plugging along and staying as creative as I could. I had, you know, around here, it's amazing, like in terms of Rochester, you can find a lot of music and like people like me who go on the scene, you can, all different kinds. During COVID, I would have a calendar it would be every day would be a streaming show I'd watch. And I would, it's like my friend Alyssa, my friend Meg, your occasional shows, other people occasional shows. The only thing I know is how is cool. doing uh, the show without live feedback, though, a little? Because I know, like, Hayes Carl would do them, but he would say, okay, I have, like, like really, like, OCD and stuff, I have to really watch out for the comments because I won't play. So how did you, in terms of playing and not have a live audience, you just sort of, you know, you knew we were out there, basically? Yeah, I, you know, it it was strange at first, but um, luckily, like, both of my regular piano players, their names are Bill or John, we have, like, a fun repartee, so that kind of, you know, just having them with me made it sort of just kind of fun and in the moment, and then for me, with the Facebook shows, yeah, when I was done with a song, I loved sort of coming towards the, the camera and reading the comments and kind of, like, giving shout-outs to people. That made it... Um, a little more uh, personal for me, but it was strange getting used to just the silence, no applause for me. Oh, how sad. So um, that was a hard thing to adjust to. I would freak but, out like my friend Linda did one and she's like, oh, your, well, our friend Rob's on. Oh, he just did a group watch. Like, 
Oh, he's me. <laughs> I just want to be anonymous. Watch this show. I know. Well, that so then you better not come to my Facebook shows because I'll probably if I see your if well if you comment I'll talk back to you. But well, I always write inane comments though, so there's <laughs> like something like that. But I realized something, and I know what it is, but I've never really known the definition. What exactly is cabaret? How would you describe it? Yeah, how would I describe it? I I describe it as sort of um, typically an intimate setting, like a smaller theater or a dinner club, um, a nightclub, where the artist just kind of puts together some kind of evening, whether it's a mix of different writers, whether it's one particular writer, whether it's a theme, um, whether it's about a specific subject or a completely personal show. I just, I think of it as songs and stories kind of shared in a really intimate setting um, as opposed to like a big, a big theater or a big Broadway show. It's sort of like the singer is kind of right there and kind of singing directly to the people that are listening. You would That's how like I the dark define room it. And everything, the lights, people sitting around. Back in the old days, you'd always be, be smoking a cigarette because it was always the old yeah. days is a drink. The lights are low, then there's jazz music, then you talk and tell a story. That yes, and it just feels very much like yeah, like you're sort of, um, I love going to shows where I feel like I'm just kind of in the artist's living room, you know, like you're just right there and you really get to know the performer and there's mistakes that happen and there's, you know, you're just right, right in the thick of it. It's, uh, that's how I would describe Cabaret. Now, how, what were some of the artists that influenced you when you were coming up listening to this, you know, starting being, I want to do this, but I love these artists. <laughs> sure. Well, I, starting from a young age in Syracuse, you know, I, um, I grew up around the corner from my, my grandmother and my grandfather, and they were a big part of my childhood and big influences on me musically. Um, my grandpa loved jazz. He loved Ella Fitzgerald and Billy Eckstein, Frank Sinatra, Sarah Vaughn. And um, I just, I really liked that stuff as a kid. And I loved being with my grandpa. So I loved listening to those artists with him. I loved Judy Garland as a kid. I just thought she sang, um, even as a little kid, I kind of, I think I recognized that she sang with so much feeling and emotion and really understood the words that she was singing about. Um, and then when I came to the city, I, I saw many different wonderful cabaret artists. Um, there was one man that I love named Steve Ross. And I saw him at the Algonquin Hotel at the Oak Room, which is now closed, unfortunately. Um, and I just loved, he would just sit at the piano and sing and play and tell these most incredible stories about like writers like Cole Porter, just information I had never known before about these songwriters. And another saw, uh, singer is Maude Maggart, who is actually Fiona Apple's half-sister. Oh, wow. uh, she, she's in um, Los Angeles now, but she's done a lot of cabaret work. And I saw her at the Algonquin Hotel, too. And I just 
was mesmerized by her. Very beautiful, um, earthy woman singing all kinds of stuff. A lot of older songs, a lot of Stephen Sondheim, a lot of ballads, which I love. I love ballads. And I just was so taken by her um, stage presence, her shows, her style. And that kind of really made me want to do that, you know, made me want to do what she was doing. So I always, when I come to New York, I always stay at the Royalton Hotel, which happens to be across the street from the Algonquin. And for me, my sense of history, the old round, Algonquin round table, Dorothy Parker, Robert Benchley. It's just, I love wow. to go in there and see the ghosts walking around at night. Amazing history of the place. It is. And, and the Oak Room was such a special They've kind of, um, you know, they they some they redid the whole thing, and um, it's it's kind of a shame because it was a really special, magical little room where a lot this of wonderful magic people to it like that. But I always but it's say, a great place. You seem like you, from what I've seen and watched of you, you take things, you make them your own, though, which is really cool. It's not like it's not like I, I don't call them tributes because you take things, but you put your own spin on them. Well, that means so much to me. Thank you so much. No, I, we don't really do research do. here. As long as I know the guest's name, consider us. That's our research. But I think, did you do a Lennon and McCartney thing, or am I completely wrong? Can you tell us I a little did. bit? Wow. <laughs> no, I did. And I'm actually, you know, I I hope to come back to Rochester at some point. I'm going to be doing the Lennon-McCartney show. It's, um, it's called I'll Follow the Sun. And Not yeah, lately, but <laughs> yeah, right. I'm trying to manifest the sunshine. I'm going to be bringing that to Syracuse, New York, actually, on um, Saturday, May 21st. We'll, we'll make sure at the end, too, to tell everybody where they can catch you when they want. They don't want to. Yes. Be yeah. And it's at this place called the um, Listening Room 443 on Burnett Ave in Syracuse. I've never been there. But I've it's heard of it. Amazingly, for Syracuse, I saw Alice Cooper there at the big place. But. Every time I go out there, my friends Maybird and Michaela Davis played at Funkin' Waffles. I don't even know if it's still there. but I Ma think it is. Michaela played at a place. It wasn't Syracuse. It was like a, it was in DeWitt, where it was like right out of Syracuse. It was like the song Stretcher Road, and it was like a theater. So technically, I wasn't in Syracuse. I was in DeWitt. You were in DeWitt. Yeah. I wonder, I, I'm sure I know it. I don't know off the top of my head, but that sounds really cool. I can't remember anything. So that's, it's like it was that's a theater. Right. It was like a theater. Little, the it was weird. You went down the one road when you got off the exit. It was like just a mini theater district with restaurants and a theater. Wow. And everything that's else. I'll have to think about that. I think I'll shoot you a message. I have horrible, like, short-term memory. No worries. You know, but the thing about the Beatles is like, obviously, there's like a timelessness to them. I don't think, you know, good music is good music, obviously. We're talking jazz. Get something from the 20s, 30s. It holds up. Why? Because it's good. And the Beatles are around. And actually, think back. By the mid-60s, they were being written off like Hermits. Hermits were going to surpass them. Yeah. And then during the 70s, I think there was a K-Tel Beatles record or something. But over time, good music just holes and i think that's the thing with them yeah some people will say we still talk about them why because they were really good absolutely and i you know i found that um my lennon mccartney show has been one of the most 
um, marketable shows I've done just because yeah, every, everybody knows who they are. And, and I've taken the shows, you know, to a good amount of places kind of around the United States. Um, I was, um, I was in a, a venue in, um, Indiana, uh, the Hotel Carmichael, and I was really struck by just the range of people at the show. You know, there were a lot of um, middle-aged people, older people, younger people, and that, yeah, that's what I love about the Beatles. Like, they're still so relevant. They still are getting, you know, really young people are are still hip to their songs and become big fans, and, and you're right. It is timeless. And I love their stuff because I think for the most part, it's, it's uplifting, you know, it's, um, it's really uplifting messages in their songs. And I think I we can is- relate to them in a lot of like friendships we've had and everything where you have this close group and you get apart and all like the dynamics, the different personalities, but I saw totally. something really cool being a music person. And we have a really nice music scene here. It's like we're blessed. I mean, it's for a little town somehow. We have, like, diversity in terms of music. And it's also theater, which is coming back now, obviously, COVID. But I I went to go meet Dig Dale. That was the guitarist. Almost was beaten up by the line because he came two hours late. And then he started talking to me. and And he was inviting me over to his house by the end. But people were waiting. He's like a surf guitarist if you're not into that type of thing. But... I saw some kids behind me. They were like in high school kids. And I'm just thinking, wow, it's really cool they're into this. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, I love seeing that. And then you're right. Good music is good music. And it, it brings people together um, of all different ages and backgrounds. And yeah, it's neat to see that. It's true because, I mean, we don't talk politics on this show. We want people to enjoy it, have fun. <laughs> but when you get out, like, you have all the arguing online everything. But I've known people, their different political views, get out to a music show, they're great pals. It brings you Absolutely. together. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what um, I love about right. it. And the other thing about this show, as we always say, is we always say, go support your artists. But go what you like, but go see somebody you've never heard of before. It might not be, you might like them. I love that. It, it, that's so helpful to people like me and so many of my friends and um, peers. And yeah, because there's so much out there. So you're right. Try something new. Don't just stick But I have with to give you, my, our friend, my friend Paul, he does this. He would have loved the John Prine stuff when we talked to him, but he's busy this week. But I'll give you the one. Now, this may or may not be true, okay? It's nothing big. It's the story he always tells. John Lennon was asked one time if Ringo was the best drummer in rock. John said, Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> now, oh, you know, it might be apocryphal, it might be, but it's just so John, isn't it? That is so funny. I I love John. I He's my favorite Beatle. And I, I just remember my dad playing, you know, all the records when I was a kid in Syracuse. And just, you know what song I loved? As a little kid, Strawberry Fields. My favorite song of the Beatles. It It is my favorite song. And, you know, I do that in the show. And and you might know this. I'm sure diehard fans do. But I learned, I did a lot of research. And I learned so much about. It's an orphanage. Yeah, about the origins of that song. And obviously, John's childhood was, you know, he had a lot of a lot of traumatic his, sad his mother stuff. and everything. Yeah, and it's so amazing how it informed his work and 
his song Julia, which is for oh, his mom. mother. And I I didn't really know all that before I put the show together. Isn't so. it amazing though, too? You could take that's what artists do think too. I think Van Gogh did it too. Where you take miserable experiences, you make something beautiful. Like Strawberry Field is easily my favorite. I mean, I'm not big on those top tens, all that stuff. Except yeah. like your show for the snow was in the top five. <laughs> but <laughs> but Strawberry Field is my favorite Beatles song. I, I think it's mine as well. It's such a powerful song. And, and you're right. You take all that stuff and you channel it. And then you touch so many people. You and know? if you've heard, um, like, I love behind the scenes things. Like for the anthology, hearing how they put it together. Was yes. was really cool. Yes. And, and I, I think. Me, yeah, go on. And I just, you know, and another aspect was, you know, um, Lennon and John and Paul's, their competitive nature. You know, I think when when John wrote Strawberry Fields, I mean, I read an interview where Paul just, when they all sat around first listened to it, um, listened to John play it, he just said, that's brilliant, you know? And then a little bit after that, he came back and answered with Penny Lane. And I think... They were friends, but they were competitive, you know, and I think that made them such good, um, such a good songwriting. I saw, I saw Paul at Giant Stadium and there was a moment wow. where he goes, he sits down at the piano. He goes, this is for a dear friend. He played Strawberry Fields. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. I love that. That's amazing. I have chills. I, yeah, it's such an interesting, I don't know. And there's so much information out there about the two of them and their history and their friendship and their ups and their downs that it was really fun. Cause I didn't want to just, you know, it's the Beatles and everybody knows the Beatles and the songs have been done millions of times. So I tried my best to find ways in um, that might not be the most obvious, you know, interpretations or just stories to kind of illuminate the material. And one in more way Beatles that... story for you, you might find amusing. Yeah. My brother worked for Electra Records for a while, but he knew people in New York City. And there was somebody, like one of his friends lived there. He saw John Lennon just walking down the street, right? So he actually had him sign something. He had him sign something, right? He didn't look at it. He gets home and looks at it. He signed it Paul McCartney. <laughs> but I think oh that's goodness. John. And I think from what I've heard, and John was always my favorite, but I have to admit, over the years, and I think it's like my friends Maybird, Michaela, there's some young artists there, I've gotten a lot into George. Yeah, yeah. He was not amazing. saying John wasn't I still love all but but something about George, I just like his like puckish nature, the way he's like his positivity and everything and all the different things he does Monty Python stuff too, obviously. Right. No, I, I completely I totally see why, you know. He was a special guy and in such a huge part and contributed some incredible songs that I couldn't do, you know, because I kept it strictly John Lennon, Paul McCartney, but um yeah, he was. You could do your own. One day, maybe you can just do the songs of George Harrison. <laughs> maybe so. That's another. Idea. That's the thing I think as an artist too. Like with you, you seem like I said there are no limits. You take on some people I would never go near, <laughs> and you do so a really good nice. job. Well, you do though. It's not like you're picking. You're picking some people. Like, well, I'm again biased too. Not with the Beatles. With the Beatles, but I am like a huge Tom Waits fan, and I wouldn't go <laughs> near some of those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was, um, I had a, my director for that show, she was amazing because I, I only knew a few of Tom Waits songs and, and her, 
her then boyfriend, now husband said, you should do a whole show of Tom Waits. And then she, once he said that she became so excited and um, yeah, they really pushed me to do that. And my dad was so excited by the idea. And then the more I discovered about him, you know, I was just blown away. Okay, honestly, there's some artists, I would put Leonard Cohen in the same category. I would say Nick Cave, too, a little bit. The voice. Yeah. How were you on the voice for his voice when you first heard him? Did you like Well, it? it's it's an adjustment, and it's... I mean, <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> but I always told people, my mom would listen to it, and she'd just go, what are you listening to? And I would say, okay, people who just have never gotten into him before, listen to some of his, like, Blood Money, Alice, because it's not as gruff as... Or, or, and I would probably say for me, for Waits, my favorite song is Tom Trobert's Blues. Oh, yeah. But I, it's one of the song. saddest songs ever. But I can get that. Like, some people you just might not get. Like, for a while, and again... Politics aside, I've heard he's a bit of a nut. Uh, Van Morrison, for a long time, I just couldn't get the voice. But then now I really like his music. I I feel the same. And I, I actually, I love Tom's voice. I love his approach. Um, but his whole persona is like, you know, it's almost like silly. It's like he makes a joke of himself, which I think... Is his is his aim is his is his shtick? He does. There's like legit stuff too. He used to break into cars to steal cigarettes because he was so poor. He you know he learned like night offs at the diner was all. He worked at an all night pizza place. He saw these characters and from working at a bar in a music district, I could relate. He would see all these characters come in after hours and write songs about them. Totally, and I I agree, and I just. I just love him. I, I think some of his songs are, I mean, I just think they're the best ever. I don't, my, and that's my humble. No, that's mine too. I'm just telling, I, I don't think anybody like that they're poets. Them. And yeah. I love that. You've done Alice and stuff. I love that album. I love Alice. It's so haunting and so um, raw and just, wow. It's, it's amazing. And, and I do the day after tomorrow, about the um, soldier writing home, you know, wanting to come home. And it's such like a, what I love about his stuff is it's just written so simple. Like it's just so simple. It just paints such a clear picture. You seem like you go also for people that their songs are little stories. Yes. Like I've heard, I always remember it sticks out in my head in terms of your show. You would like talk about them and then sing. I always like remember old 55. And it's yeah. simple, but there's a feeling the sun's coming up by riding Lady Luck or the yes. heart of Saturday night. And my, my the woman that directed that show, my friend Lauren Fox, was so, um, she just said to me, if there's ever a show where you can really go there and bring up all this, you know, the darkness in you and the sensitivity and, and pain, it's this show. Because you're right, even songs like Old 55, there's there's kind of a melancholic feeling underneath them, you know? Like, like for Sore Eyes, which I used to play every New Year's Eve, and it's like talking about old friends who aren't around anymore. Well, these some people, like Thelma and Jordina, they still come around, all the old gangs left town. 
Yeah. There's one guy yeah. in jail doing a nickel for robbery because he a car crash or robbery, you know, those type of and working at bars again, like you see these kind of people. You go, Oh, I know that character. I know that character. Absolutely. Yeah, there's just so much there. But he's and... funny too. You think like in terms of like swordfish trombones was I think a lot of take on Captain Beefheart's Trout Mask Replica, like the neighborhood, but also the one you have to play it every year for Valentine postcard from a hooker in Minneapolis. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you don't I use get that to the end. <laughs> Another show, a totally different show, I use that. That is such a great song. And again, yeah, funny, but also it's sad. And um, there's just so much going you know on. Like, to me, it's like sort of leaving Las Vegas where the people are, you know, you think about in a way they're kind of pathetic, but it's like a beautiful love story. Totally. And that's like yeah. bittersweet. And I like, I was telling my friend Adrian and my friend Katie about, well, you write bittersweet songs, all you sort of depressing, but, you know, and we try to be upbeat, but those are the fun songs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I remember seeing your show, and I, because Tom Cohen's a good friend of mine, and I know people say, it's got to be good. I'm going, oh, she's covering Tom Waits, though. Oh, she's brave. So then I went down, and I'm like, wow, this is really good. This is awesome. And well, the crowd please. loved it, too. Thank, well, thank you so much. And and that's what I love because I, you know, when I first did the show here in New York City, it was such a departure for a lot of these regular cabaret folk that would come to these shows. Like, you know, they're used to just hearing standards or jazz music, which, which, is, fun, great, which, great. which is great. But I, what I loved is even people that didn't know Tom Waits at all really seem to connect to the material and that's the coolest part you know even when someone you do sort of have a more accessible voice than him so that might help some people who've never heard him just a little bit just a little bit you're not like the words but my my good friends in theater what they've done and as i said theater is going to come back my friend mario would do it that we have a place called muck mcucc they did a lot of shows and i'm sure they'll do it again where they took bands or music and they would do a story to them like mm. Vanessa Carl and Bruce Springsteen, My Chemical Romance. Yeah. And they would do like come up like with a vampire story for My Chemical Romance and they would interpret the songs. But has Tom Waits ever given you any feedback on this? I have to ask. No, no. He's sort I mean, of like a quiet, like gentleman farmer dude now. Totally. I, I wrote yes. him a letter. <laughs> I sent him a copy of my, because I have an album, a live album. Yes, yes, I have. No. But no, I never heard from Tom Waits. I, I maybe someday I would love to meet him. I just know I Vanessa know. Carlton. I guess reached out to Mario and them about that about the show. She liked it. Did she? That is so cool. It's I like, love that. Also, wow. you really are not afraid of tackling icons because you did a Marilyn Monroe thing. Could you tell us a little about that? Sure. Unless it was somebody other Marilyn, I just remember reading about. It. It's like no. it is Marilyn Monroe, right? <laughs> and that's you know, and what's funny is. Um, yeah, the Marilyn Monroe show, I did um, the woman that directed that show for me. And, and that was really, I think, more of like a, a legit theater piece. It really was not um, conventional cabaret, if you will, at all. And I think the Tom Waits show was kind of bordered on theater piece, too, because it wasn't, you know, some of the spoken word in the if Tom Waits I remember, Waits show it's been a while. Words. I remember you would talk and tell stories and like that you would like sort of talk and then you would get into the song. Then go into his voice. Yeah. So the Maryland show um, was, yeah, it was sort of like we used um, 
we use songs from all over. Um, that was sort of like almost like a a diary into her inner life. But we use songs from Nine Inch Nails, Tom <laughs> Waits, Sia, Cole Porter, um, Jesse J, the pop icon Jesse J, all over the place. Alanis Morissette, um, and interwove those songs with Marilyn's own words, and. Um, that was really cool. We used the piano has been drinking in the Maryland show. Um, you know, <laughs> the so piano has been drinking. <laughs> it wasn't like a an imitation. There was no blonde wig. You know, it wasn't all. Oh, like happy birthday, Mr. President. No, kind of was. It went into her. You know, kind of her demons, her uh, inner inner self. So I think also. Like that, I've always used the term Duke Ellington used. There's only two types of music, good music and bad music. And I think, I don't know if it was like this for you, but like in high school, you had to be the metalhead or the alternative or the punk. And then you could escape and you could, you know, you would find out, wait a second, he's an Iron Maiden fan, but I saw he had a Sting album. And you would go all the way around the school. They'd be looking at you like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> no, but we would always be like the kind of people. We had a place called Lakeshore Record Exchange. You get like, in these days, remember, cost a little less. <laughs> but we were yeah. that album stack like this. You might have Metallica on top and Hank Williams on the bottom. And the zombies yeah. in between. Yeah. But in high school, you always sort of got put into those groups where you were like. I know. Uh, and you were self-conscious about it. I know. I know. I, um. No, and I guess looking back, I've always kind of liked so many different things, which I, like you said, good music is good music. Yeah, well, your parents, um, they, they encouraged this, didn't, you, didn't they? Yeah, you know, I, my dad, I, I always thought my dad played great music in the house as a kid. You know, a lot of Beatles, John Prine, Van Morrison. And then it was cool because then around the corner at my grandma and grandpa, it was more, you know, Frank Sinatra. Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday. So it was a neat combination. Yeah, well, I grew up in a Lawrence Welk household. Oh, yeah. It survived. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think one of the common threads with all the musicians that I know, it seems either they're family or musicians or they you have to encourage. And I think you do, especially because, you know, you're a vocalist, but you have to buy equipment or instruments and encourage it. It's also as a career path is very brave because it's not like, okay, sign up. I'm a musician. I'm going to make a weekly wage. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I, yeah, I've been very lucky. Um, my family's always, they just know how much joy it brings me. And, and if you have a, I say this about the people. Some people might have a great voice, but they don't have. And all the great artists, and you have this, you have a feel for it. You really do. And you can tell you love it. But when you make, you make a song your own, I don't hear Tom Waits' gravelly voice like when I heard I hear your voice. Well, I, that means, that really means the world to me. And I, that's. I know it would have been interesting I... if you had Tom Waits' voice when I saw you. Like, wow, she can imitate Tom Waits. Oh, she's going to get a sore throat. And then she smoked like a card of cigarettes before she started playing. Totally. But I think that's why I think that's why it's successful, you know, because you don't try to sound like anybody. No, but that's what cow. I tell people here. And that's what the beautiful thing about local bands and, like, these younger kids, they – suck in everything they've heard and they like their families get them into it but one of the best tom wade stories i have is i used to live in alexandria but i came home 
I guess Tom Waits was playing the auditorium theater. I didn't get to see him. But he was staying at the Strath Allen, right? So this is like a big hotel if you don't know Rochester. So I figured, okay, this is like the party, man. I'm going to go look for him. So I went to go look in the bar and stuff. He wasn't there. I guess he went to bed. And the story goes back to the Pogues. He was in Ireland. And Shane McGowan and all of them going, the party master, we got to find him. I guess he went to bed by nine. He's like a mellow dude. He might drink wine, but he's just like a really, since he married Kathleen Brennan, he's like a farmer. Just a, he might look like some guy on, you know, my five on street corner. Totally. No, and I, I read, he said himself, he said, Kathleen saved my life. I think Kathleen really kind of reeled him in. You or know? you ever hear the Rod Stewart quote about, uh, you know, Tom owes me his pool from when I covered downtown train. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did hear that. He's so, there's so such funny stories. But yeah. Have you done any acting, per se, like in anything? Or you, this is like, you're sort of, you're doing a little bit in your spoken word. I would say that's theater a little bit, but any acting? Yeah. No, I'm trying to. You know, um, I have done some. I I did something kind of silly here, which got me my my equity card. Um, it oh, wasn't. You want to talk about it? <laughs> sure. Let's. You know what? It was a spoof. It was a it was a musical spoof, and I hate to say it because we're not supposed to talk about politics, but it was. We can. About, we're fine about everything. It's just we don't do. You know, I don't want to. No, it was about Donald time, Trump. <laughs> it was about Donald Trump, and I played. Of all people, I played Marla Maples, Donald Trump's <laughs> wife. And I got my equity card doing this. And the woman that played Melania was Gina Gershon, who oh, was yes. in <laughs> Showgirls. Go. What a gap. You know, you don't, I can't, like, I figure, like, on my Facebook feed sometimes, I will get these insane right-wing like magazine ads and i'm like what did i write <laughs> you know you get like these things like you pop, you know, you're like how are these popping up because i do like I write a lot of satirical stuff you know and my yeah. friends know i'm kidding but you get these weird like these weird yeah, yeah i got i got one for i got one for i got one for donald trump doll oh no <laughs> donald wait, wait, trump doll there's a donald trump doll <laughs> oh, God. But that's hilarious, that. like playing Marla Maple. <laughs> yeah, of all things. So, you know, but I'm I am always kinda on the lookout. I, I'd like to hit more auditions. I you know, I do have an agent that submits me for um film and TV and I've had you know I've, I've had some big auditions haven't gotten any of them but I'm constantly kind of you know trying to put more focus into that and I did just get to do some background work on the um marvelous Mrs. Maisel oh I, I have to get I have to, my friends love that show they love it I have, it's not, every, I have not believe it or not I've not I watched not it watched yet it. I have not and everybody loves it. And I was just a couple weeks ago, the episode I was in came on and I was so happy because I, it was like th two or three 12 hour days. It was unbelievable. We had to be there at like five in the morning, um, shooting the same scene hundreds of times. I got to be in with all the principal actors, watching them work. But luckily, you could see me, which was which was a great reward because I thought, what if you'll just see my elbow or something after all this? So 
So ever, I think there's been more than one sitcom like where the characters in something like that. So they bring all their friends over, and then they find out they cut their part out. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, what if I betcha? But I was visible, and the hair lady was. You know, they. It's all 1950s, so the hair and wardrobe was unbelievable. Hey, I'm very like I my tastes go all over the place. It's just I'm necessarily not into Main Street stuff. But like I was watching Heels, which is about a small town pro wrestling thing. Then I was oh. watching Midsummer Murders, like because I love like so many BBC things and PBS things. So if yeah. it's good, you know, if it's something in, and I think you know, you get to the point where you've seen so much stuff before, you just want something different and good and well written. Totally. I'll be looking I, for you though with that. I'll see. Yes, I think it's episode four, season. Oh no, I don't. It's season four. You, you'll see me. You might have to keep stopping and rewinding, but <laughs> it was fun though. It was really cool. We'll to play a game inside. about that with friends and say, okay. Who spots Marissa first gets like a cheese ball or something like totally. that. Totally. That sounds like a really fun game. That would be really cool. But you ever try, you would be good probably, here I'm sounding like an agent or something. You, you ever try any voice acting? You know, a, a little bit. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to. I have heard this from people I know who do it. It's really I mean, I've, I did, I've done a, a, probably 50 or 60 auditions. I haven't gotten any one of them, but. I was working with a with an agent for a while, but I took a um, a class and I learned so much. And I should I should really put more energy into that. Though I think you I, know you you have no limits. Like as an artist, you do what you're going to do. And I think what happens is it's natural. You flow where you're going to flow. And it sounds like to me you don't really make these projects up on a fly. You just something sounds interesting and you do it. Yeah, I do, and it just. I, I always, you know, it's, as you know, it's a really hard business, but if oh, you're yeah. focusing on, you know, like, I always just try to focus on what I connect to, what excites me. See, that's it. You people can it. feel the passion. I've said to some friends when they played, you really like doing this. You could people, the audience can feel that for people. But I wanted to ask, because we don't have my co-host Greg here. He has some things going on. We've had Tom Waits tribute shows here, and he's a drummer. And we were just talking about the challenges of actually playing his music. It's like in terms of drums, and I'm an amateur. I wish he was here, but unfortunately can't be. You know, we wish him the best. That trying to play it sort of, he would say it was like a Tin Pan Alley beat. It was really <laughs> tough. So yeah. how, in terms of you musicians, how did you, have you worked with them before? Did you just recruit them? And were they daunted yes. by having to read Tom Waits? Well, no, you know, I didn't have a drummer. I had piano, bass and guitar but my piano, I heard a drummer in my head at the show it was probably the snow bouncing around <laughs> it was probably the snow but no you know my my pianist John Weber he um is an incredible jazz pianist but also he is so he goes so much farther beyond that because um he just like really I don't even think he knew a lot about Tom Waits but he just like totally just immersed himself in it was loving it was like loving the challenge of doing something like this and just I think what made him so great was because so many of the songs are such great stories he's such a sensitive accompanist and he really follows the singer and 
he just added like so much, so many colors and nuance to Tom's stuff. And um, I, think that's I don't the know. Mark of another of, of true artist too, where it's the question's not why, it's why not. All if you're not afraid of failing and trying new things, I think everything's open. And I apologize beforehand for this one though, but why doesn't Tom Waits stand in line? Because Tom waits for no one. Uh, Sorry, oh, that's I want to turn this off now. You can't. I, it's I right. do have. I do have. <laughs> okay, one here's top. Pat. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Sure, I'll, I'll pop in for just a second. Hi, hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, I I love Tom Waits, uh, and I always had this joke. I used to tell that one of my life goals was to play the pots and pans in a Tom Waits band. <laughs> Swordfish <laughs> trombone. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. like it, 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 it just yes, yeah, so much crazy percussion. But uh, it also, oh my gosh. Well, no, I love that, and and you know, <laughs> I just was thinking like. As far as the accompaniment, I mean, there is, like you said, there is so much Tin Pan Alley aspect to it. There's so much jazz in it. I mean, you know, so I think my pianist, John, was, I mean, he really found a lot of moments to shine, too, in that material. You know the story of mule variations? Tom just went out and he recorded it in a barn. I didn't know <laughs> yeah, that. That's what he, I swear you could hear like chickens clucking in the back of oh, songs. Oh, my goodness. Well, what a what an original you know. Yeah. Now we'll talk about uh, the other thing coming up for you now is John Prine. How did you come to decide you wanted to do a John Prine show? Well, um, so that was John Weber, my frequent accompanist. He he just kept saying, you should do a whole show. Like he was really encouraging me. And I had done, I had um, sang hello in there a lot over the years, which I love. And I knew a couple of the songs and and then I just said, you know what, you're right, let's do it. And so I, you know, it was the pandemic and there wasn't much going on. And I just sort of did a deep dive into the stuff. And of course, you know, John Prine, you know, sadly he passed, passed away, away yeah. from COVID and that kind of like brought the idea back. And um, yeah, I just loved doing And he's doing loved this show. here, everybody loves him here. And what an amazing man, like what a humble like funny um self-deprecating like i just couldn't believe you know his story writing some of those like these iconic and songs funny while, too. That's the thing. while working as a mailman i mean he's writing songs like hello in there when he's 22 he's writing sam stone on his mail route in chicago it's pretty amazing i wonder if he I, had i know a lot of friends do this now but we're really so they they bring like pencils or like putting the phone so they can put the lyrics remember the day can you imagine like getting a piece of mail from john Prine? he wrote the lyrics down then forgot and gave you your mail and it was on your mail <laughs> i know wouldn't that have been crazy but yes creative people create that's the thing you got the bug it's got to come out <laughs> totally and i love him too because yeah he has so many kind of gut-wrenching, haunting, um, beautiful ballads, but so much funny material, too. So it just made for a really fun, great evening, and it just felt like a great time to do it since we just lost him. And um, I don't know. I, I love doing it. So I'll be doing it in St. Louis at the end of April and in Minneapolis at this club called Crooners. I'm really excited. So... Um, and I'll it's be like, doing the Tom Waits show. My friend does, uh, one of my friends used to do In Spite of It All, right? With yes. his wife. But they would always change the line. I don't know if it's crime movies or they change it to vampire movies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I did that in my show and 
Same You're going to see vampire movies now after I said this is going to stick in your head. <laughs> Maybe I'll steal that. That's good. So, but no. Cool. So, this is coming up uh, later April. And you have right now, I have your Tom Waits CD. I know you have three CDs, albums, whatever you want to call them these days. Out. I do. Yeah. The first is called Illusions. The second is Tom and His Words. And then the third is Two Tickets Left, my my only studio album uh, to date. So. There will be more. There will be more. Just got to, like, save my my pennies and. Make some more albums, you know? But that's okay. That's what's ahead for you then. You're just doing all these. And, of course, you'll have new projects, I'm sure. Which I That's the beauty of this. I love, like, for you, just to see what you're going to do next. It's always like, what's she doing next? What's she doing next? There we go. Yeah. Maybe you'll do, like, you know, all the, like, cartoon jingles or something. You never know with you. <laughs> I don't know what'll be next, but that's you're right. That's the best part, isn't it? It is the best part. It's exciting. And so... Yeah, I'll be in St. Louis two nights doing John Prine and then heading to Minneapolis. And that I'm really excited about because I'll do one night Tom Waits and the next night John Prine, which is so cool. And then Syracuse in May and then a couple things over the summer. And, you know, it, it goes like that. Sometimes there's a lot and then nothing. Oh, um, yes. But that's just the nature of, of the beast, and you got to just ride the wave and just stay creative. That's awesome. It's been great. I'm so glad we had you on, and thanks for taking the I'm time I'm so with glad us. to be here. Thank you Now, we're going to play. Just tell us all what we can. I know you have a website. Yeah. Everything else, we can find out where you're going. Just tell sure. us. Sure. Yeah, everything's on my website, marissamulder.com. Um, I also post, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me pretty easily. Um, I have a lot of things up on YouTube just by searching my name and yeah, I'm on Spotify. Make sure I'll... we spell it right. It's with an M-O-M-U-L-D-R-E-R -E because I'm -E like so bad and I was like thinking X5. Fox Mulder from the, <laughs> you got it. You read my mind. You read, read my mind. mind. So... That's the easiest way for nerds to, to remember. Yes, <laughs> but we're going to play. We like to play a song at the end, and you send us Jersey Girl. And I have to say and be proud. I like Bruce Springsteen, but Tom Waits never covered one of his songs. Bruce Springsteen covered a Tom Waits song. Ha <laughs> ha. That's right. That's right. But why did you pick that one? Just is it a favorite, or you just said ah, random? <laughs> well, you know, it just seemed to fit well into the evening, and also there's a very funny story to preface it um, because. In the 80s, Tom was doing a radio interview, and the interviewer asked him specifically how he felt about Bruce Springsteen and Bruce's growing fame and popularity. And Tom just said to the interviewer, I've done all I can for Bruce, and he's on his own now. You know? He's like, his quips are just the best. He's like one of those natural wits where he just... <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think it's just so funny because I think so many people think Bruce Springsteen wrote Jersey Girl, you oh, I'm know? I'm sure. How many people go up to a lot of people and say, I really like that Rod Stewart song, Downtown Train. Same and thing. Or the Eagles with Old 55. And that's the other, just the amazing thing about Tom. You know, he just was so um, 
under the radar. Yeah, some of his biggest hits were recorded by other artists. Yeah, because so. I think Rain Dogs was his most popular album, and I think it only sold like around like 250, 300,000 copies. But could you imagine? I'd be like in a band going, I'm not going to write anything. Let's see what he wrote next, and we'll do covers of it. They're that good. Totally. Ace Carroll does a really good version of I Don't Want to Grow Up. You could go on. There could be albums, like a whole store of albums of people doing covers. Tori Amos did Time. Oh, I love her cover. Oh, that was, isn't it incredible? And the thing was, I had not oh. heard that song before. I had her her album, and it's the one where she covers all male artists. And mm. I always forget titles, so whatever. But yeah. I'm listening to it going, I don't have to guess who did this. This is a Tom Waits song. I know, and I love that. It just so many artists do so well with his stuff, which is such a testament to his um, his writing, you know. So. Very cool. But thank you so much for being on, and we'll hook, get that on at the end. So everybody stay around. <laughs> thank you and so hopefully much. we'll see you back here sometime down the line. I would love that. Thanks for having me. This oh, was thanks. So it was fun. a pleasure. Corner boys down in the street making all that noise. Don't want no whores on Eighth Avenue because tonight I'm gonna be with you. Because tonight I'm gonna take that ride. Cross the river to the Jersey side Take my baby to the carnival And I'll take you on all the rides Cause down the shore everything's alright You with your baby on a Saturday night All my dreams come true When I'm walking down the street With you Sing sha-la-la-la-la Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la Sha-la-la, sha-la-la Little 
angel gives me everything I know someday that you'll wear my ring So don't bother me cause I got no time I'm on my way to see that girl of mine Nothing else matters in this whole wide world When you're in love with a jersey Architects of Entropy, a collaborative world-building tabletop role-playing actual play podcast. In other words, my friends and I create exciting, weird worlds and then we play in them. Join us for our introductory story as we play Dungeons and Dragons in a homebrew high fantasy world populated with dwarves, elves, fairies, and anthropomorphic weasels. What's going to happen next? We have no idea. Join us and find out. Architects of Entropy, a podcast.